Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. <laughs> BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. Bald Face Truth, Peter Sampson, really quickly, and for John Canzano, he's just working on getting connected. There was a, just a short technical issue. He will be here in a matter of seconds. Did want to let you know, yes, we are aware there's a show going on. Stephen Vaughn with me. And uh, Stephen, as soon as JC's there, uh, just tell me to be quiet so we can fade him up. Obviously, you're not going to want to miss today's show with JC. He's going to have so many great things to talk about, including, obviously, the game formally known as the Civil War. Uh, Oregon State upsets Oregon 38-34. What a game that was, man. I'm, I'm glad I stayed locked into that one. At a certain point, I went, yeah, this thing is over. Yeah, I'll keep it on. I might as well watch it. You know, I'm rooting for a good game here, and boy, did they get one. A lot of reaction from that game across the internet, across the Pac-12 footprint. Of course, this show statewide, a lot of reaction throughout the state of Oregon. And JC had a column that uh, he put out yesterday. Uh, sort of talking about the reaction of uh, Oregon's boosters. I'm sure he'll get into that as well. A, a lot of uh, disappointment uh, from uh, big-time supporters of the Oregon Ducks program there. I, he, even, he even talked about one booster with uh, in the second half with Oregon up big. He booked his suite in Vegas for that Pac-12 championship game. And uh, I think he dropped 11000 bucks on it. That was the cost. And then it turned out, well, just about, you know, 30, 45 minutes later, no, you are not going to Vegas. And, uh, I mean, first of all, must be nice to have 11000 bucks to spend on a suite, right? Yeah, I mean, just to know that it's not a for sure thing. I mean, right? Like, the Oregon State Oregon game wasn't over by any stretch. But, I mean, it looked, looked good in your favor. Oregon with a big lead. Oregon State can't pass the ball. But who would have thought that Oregon State down by 21 points? We're just not going to throw the ball anymore. We're going to run the football and win the game that way. It was unbelievable. Um, yeah, got it. You feel sick for that person to drop that type of coin, but uh, you know, just shows off why it is gambling, and uh, you can't you can't trust those rivalry games. Yeah, hopefully he was able to get a refund there. Whoever the uh, anonymous booster is, uh, hopefully they uh, they went ahead and paid the extra few bucks to be able to modify that trip, or maybe they had trip insurance. I'm not sure, uh, but it was an absolutely stunning result, wasn't it? I mean, you you watched how those two teams played. And uh, Oregon certainly seemed in control early, of course. You know, Deshaun Fenwick was banged up. Uh, That's a problem when already you're struggling to pass the ball if you're Oregon State. And that's why, you know, I don't root. Oregon, I want them to win. Oregon State, I want them to win. When they play each other, I just want a good game. That's how it always is for me. But, uh, you know, struggling, having the running game banged up like that, uh, you know, and not being able to throw the ball, things aren't looking good 
in Corvallis, and that's what made that comeback so stunning to me. I mean, they couldn't even attempt to pass. They didn't even attempt to pass, and uh, some timely running. Um, obviously, uh, you know, uh, Newell for uh, Oregon State managed to score twice. Fenwick got one. Goldbrinson, man, you talk about things going one team's way. You have uh, the uh, struggles on fourth down for Oregon, multiple struggles on fourth down. You have the, uh, the fumble on the punt attempt while you're backed up. You know, you have the kicker in the end zone. And then on Oregon State side, when you run the QB sneak and everyone just picks him up and, sh- and shoves Goldbrinson into the end zone, the ball pops in the air. It looks like maybe they've wasted an opportunity. He is able to recover. It just goes to show in these big games, it truly is just a game of small breaks like that, Stephen. Yeah, I mean, I think there's bigger questions to be asked now. Like, should we be looking differently at Dan Lanning with the way that they went about getting that lead, but then going conservative, not getting going for it on fourth down in their own uh, territory with Bo Nix and having him slip and not really have the explosiveness. Um, and you got to give Jonathan, Jonathan Smith some credit as well. Like, didn't go away from the game plan. Realized Gilbranson couldn't make any passes to stick with the running game. And, and yeah, like Oregon State, you got you, they made some plays, but it really felt like Oregon really fumbled it all over themselves. And I felt like Oregon, it was more of an Oregon loss than an Oregon State win in my mind. And I don't, you know, I don't want to blame just the coaching staff. I think there's a lot of things that need to be answered, but you know, there's got to be some questions asked about Dan Lanning, Kenny Dillingham, and their offensive strategy that they had going down the you know second half when they have that big lead. Yeah, well, and I guess we don't really have to ask any questions about Kenny Dillingham true, true anymore. That. He uh, he was introduced at uh, Arizona State in an emotional press conference. That is a guy that was happy to be home. I'm sure JC will talk about that later in the program. If you're just joining us, Peter Sampson, Stephen Vaughn, no, we are not filling in for John Canzano. We're just working on some technical difficulties, getting him connected. You know he's not going to miss the show right after the rivalry game. He will be with us in just a matter of minutes to break it all down. I'm, I'm personally really excited to hear his thoughts myself. But to your point, even though I say, well, we don't necessarily need to ask about Kenny Dillingham anymore. Look, the aggressiveness, if you're Oregon, is what got you to that point. You know, with a chance that you're looking at a, you know, a Pac-12 championship game, maybe a Rose Bowl. Of course, the playoff is out of the question. That's okay. The aggressiveness is what got you there. But, man... When you're uh, when you're going for it on fourth and whatever on your own, what was it, twenty nine yard yeah. line? I mean, look, I'm not one to second guess coaches. Dan Lanning, even in his first years, forgot more about football than I'll ever know. I'm questioning that decision. At a certain point, you got to kind of run with the uh, sort of the fundamentals, the conventional wisdom in the game, don't you? With a hobbled quarterback, yeah, it's tough because, like you said, that's the way, that's what got Oregon to this position was being aggressive mm-hmm. and things like that, and the defense wasn't doing him any favors. Right, so it wasn't like, oh, if Oregon punts it, they're going to stop it. No, Oregon State's probably going to drive down the field, but it's just going to take a little bit longer. So, I, I understand what he was doing, but I'm with you. Like, I question that decision. It was just like it was a week ago or two weeks ago against Washington, where uh, they go for it in their in their side of the field as well. Ty Thompson's in at quarterback. Washington shuts that down. Same thing here happened. Bonex keeps it, but he's he did not have the explosiveness, and you saw it. He just wasn't the Bonex of the first you know ten weeks of the season. Right. So it's just, yeah, it's one of those things where, yeah, you do question it, and maybe it's the first-year nerve head coach uh, you know, wanting to just stay by his guns and say, you know what, this is what we've done all season. I'm not going to venture off of that. Or maybe, you know, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I, I do put a little bit of blame on landing on that one. 
And, you know, Oregon State, again, they made the play, right? Like, they went for and forth before the one Oregon did, but Oregon State made the stop when they had to, and that defense has been doing that all year, and they did it again. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's a great point. So looking back to when this hire was made, look, I mean, credit to Dan Landing, who won nine games. I predicted eight. I predicted a few maybe in-game coaching, you know, questionable decisions. I thought maybe uh, they were out of the way. First, it was smooth sailing. Then, of course, against Washington, you go, oh, well, here we go. Lesson learned. It happened. Uh Ultimately, it did, you know, potentially end up costing them uh, not one but two games. It certainly won them some games, of course, as well. Uh, So ultimately, Dan Landing, you know, nine wins. It's a good year. I think he's going to learn from this. Uh, Kenny Dillingham has moved on. Of course, now he needs to find an offensive coordinator. He's got a pretty big financial pool to be able to do so. Uh, But certainly a lot of questions in Eugene, but I want to I want to just switch gears real quick here. Uh, once again, if you're just joining us, Peter Sampson, Stephen Vaughn, and John Canzano will be with us shortly. No, he is not off. You want to keep it right here. We're just working on getting him connected. Just a small technical issue. No, he did not take the show off right after the rivalry game. He's got tons to talk about. Uh, I I'll let him tease it, but I do want to mention, of course, later in the program too. We've got Shante Leggins, UP men's back basketball coach coming on uh man not a bad showing for Shante leggins at the phil knight uh, uh tournament this uh last week here in portland uh but i do want to talk about oregon state a little bit i mean we we can mention all the things that oregon did wrong or we can question them and talk about you know execution and you know missing on fundamentals and play calling and all those things and they're all true But at a certain point, you also you have to look to Oregon State and you have to look to Jonathan Smith and you have to look to their players and just go, you know what? I mean, hat tip. Got to tip my hat to you. You you beat them. And I'm sure that as I mean, look. Some of it is overreaction, but some of it's valid. You know, a lot of time Beaver fan feels like little they're treated like little brother to Duck fan. And I mean, it's nonsense, but there there is a lot of that. But I'm sure it gets frustrating when, again, you rise up, you play a killer second half, and you beat your rival, and then everyone just goes, oh, well, the Ducks blew it. Well, yes, but also, you won that. Oregon State won that game as much as Oregon lost it. And as I said, I said I felt like the Ducks lost the game, but I will say the Beavers do have that uh, you know little brother syndrome, and it's not deserved, but it happens all the time. I mean, look at the AP poll. Ducks and the Beavers, both 9-3. and three. The Ducks are ranked higher than Oregon State. <laughs> The same exact record, Oregon State just beat Oregon, and now Oregon's still ranked high. Like, this happens all the time to Oregon State, and you do feel that. But like you said, Oregon State took advantage of the opportunities. And, you know, Branson struggled throwing the football, but, man, with those running backs. And then Isaiah Sewell, this guy comes out of nowhere. They're four-string running back, basically. Like, two rushes, two touchdowns. Uh, Branson has a couple running touchdowns. Damian Martinez, freshman of the week again. He is just a killer out there running the football. And then that defense made the plays when they had to. And that's something that, you know, they have been so good defensively. It was it was a bit of a shock, you know, the first half, the first three quarters of, you know, how easily the Ducks were really making some plays on Oregon State on that side of the ball. That was the one thing I thought was Oregon State defensively is going to be able to stop Oregon for the most part. But Oregon looked really good. And that fourth quarter when it all just kind of, you know, happened and when, you know, Oregon fumbled all over themselves, Oregon State took advantage. And they deserve that win as much as I said Oregon lost the game. 
you got to give a lot of credit to Oregon State because they did make all those plays. Yeah, and so if you're like me, a neutral observer, fantastic game. One fan base is ecstatic. One fan base is, uh, I'm not going to base an entire fan base just off of what I see on social media. But if I were to do so, one fan base is gripping, maybe a little too much. I mean, I saw calls for, you know, heads to roll and this and that. Maybe not. Maybe not. But it's a tough loss. They're going to have to regroup. And I am. I'm so happy for Jonathan Smith. I mean, we've been talking to Jonathan Smith on this show for years. And I remember, man, I remember the Gary Anderson years. I remember 2-10 and and a defense that, even if you're calling them bad, is being generous. That defense that he inherited, I'm going to say it, it was awful, 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 awful. And now here we are just a few years later, nine wins, obviously going to a bowl game. You just won the rivalry game in a great game. I mean, it's just, it's a testament to what Jonathan Smith has done there. And isn't he's just the perfect guy because obviously having starred there, uh, he gets not just the Pac-12, but he gets Corvallis. He gets what it's like to recruit to that place and play at Research Stadium. No one else could do it just like Jonathan Smith is. Yeah, we talked about this a lot. You know, John was talking to Jonathan Smith at media. Coach Smith said we could get to the Pac-12 title game based off talent. And I kind of looked at it and like, really? Like, you're going to get there by talent? But I will say, Peter, like, the Beavers took a step forward in just the progress of their program because they weren't out talented, right? Like, you could say they matched up talent for talent with the University of Oregon on Saturday. And I think that's what Jonathan Smith was saying at the start of the year. And it came true to be 9-3 and and really close to being 10-2, and 11-1. and Like, this team... Basically, if they had a quarterback, they're double-digit wins right now. They might be 11-1. They may be in the college football playoff talk. Like, that's how close yeah. this team actually was. If they had a like you know a competent quarterback, you know, you've got to feel good if you're a Beaver fan today just knowing that Jonathan Smith is there, and he's got that thing rolling where it's not just, you know, a gimmicky offense or something. Like, it's talent that he has got there and really elevated to that level. Yeah, you hit it, though. He needs a quarterback. I'm going to be watching the transfer portal uh, this offseason very, very closely. Uh, You know there's going to be a handful of big-name quarterbacks in there already. uh, Not necessarily a... uh, a big name, but maybe uh, not a talent that matches his name. Cade McNamara uh, has entered the uh, portal. Of course, he lost his job uh, just after leading Michigan to the playoff. And then he got benched after uh, just one game. Ended up getting injured later this season. But he's entered the transfer portal. Uh, similar to Bo Nix, as a grad transfer, he's going to have up to two years of eligibility wherever he lands. And no, I'm not suggesting him to Oregon State. But again, I'm going to be keeping an eye on that portal, looking for quarterbacks that can maybe slot in to Jonathan Smith's system. Uh, Just a heads up before we take a break, uh, Peter Sampson, Stephen Vaughn, we are not subbing for John Canzano. We're working on him getting him connected. He has a fantastic show planned today. No, we are not subbing for him. He will be along shortly. Let's go ahead and uh, we'll take a quick break, come back on the other side. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
Welcome back in. Peter Sampson, Stephen Vaughn with you. Having some minor technical difficulties getting JC connected. No, we are not filling him in for him today. He will be here to talk uh, Oregon Ducks, Oregon State Beavers, the result of that fantastic game. Of course, everything else going on in the Pac-12. You have uh, David Shaw stepping down, Kenny Dillingham moving on to Arizona State. Very emotional press conference today for uh, Kenny Dillingham. That's... Uh, I don't even feel bad that that guy left seeing how happy he was to go home. I mean, at first I was like, you know, it's one of those situations where you see a guy, you know, oh, another dude that rolls into Oregon for one year and then uses it as a stepping stone. Cool. And then I saw that presser and I said, you know what? I'm good. Did you see that, Steven? Yeah, he was very emotional, you know, like tears, like broken down to tears when he was, you know, talking. And that's cool. Like, you know, he tell you and said, you know, I'm an emotional guy. I'm not going to change. This is who I am. And you love to see that, Peter. Like, you'd love to see the emotion and the love he has. And, yeah, like, did he use Oregon for one year and now he's at a new job? Yeah, you can say that technically, but it does seem like Arizona State may be a landing spot for Kenny Dillingham that if he gets that thing rolling, like, he may not want to leave. And I think that's really cool, you know, just to see that type of emotion and uh, the passion that he has at being such a young coach. Youngest coach in the Power Five uh, by, I believe, Two or three years. Yeah, now. thirty-two years old. Thirty-two years old. Can you? Man, that's crazy. I'm, what was I doing at thirty-two? Yeah, I'm thirty-five. I'm you know pushing <laughs> push buttons, but he's gonna be run the Arizona State program. I think it's a great hire by them. You know, not a home run by any means, but I think there's a lot of chance for it to be really good. It'll be interesting to see what they do in the transfer portal. Uh, you know, Bo Nix still has a year left of eligibility. Does he follow him over that? I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. But I think uh, I think he has a lot of room to say. You know what? I see what I did at Oregon last year. I can get some good offensive players into the system. We can be good next year. Yeah, I think the real concern Duck fan has right now is Dante Moore removed the Oregon commit from his Instagram page. He hasn't officially decommitted or anything. And it's one of those things. Could be nothing. Could be something. But, look, Dillingham's the guy that really went after Dante Moore. So uh, that's going to be something to watch there. And, of course, you know, watching that presser and the uh, the athletic director, well, right before he introduces Dillingham uh, to the media, he uh, he says, look, this isn't something we did lightly or, you know, did too quickly. We've done our due diligence. We've been working on this for a long time. And all I could think of was, duh, because if you listen to this show, this very program, John Canzano has essentially been teasing that move for, uh, what, seven weeks now, Stephen? It's, it's six, seven, eight weeks? It was early in the season. He said, watch for Kenny Dillingham to Arizona State. That I, I got the feeling this has been not even in the works. This has sort of just been the move for a long time. Yeah, it was basically after like you know that BYU game where Oregon mm-hmm. really kept going off, and you're like, oh, well, Arizona State's struggling. If Herm Edwards is out, who could be a replacement? Kenny Dillingham. Like, that's the guy, and you know, John was talking about it, and it seems like that's the guy they wanted from the start, and they get him. Uh, now it's going to be interesting to see what Stanford does, what Colorado does. Uh, you know, there's rumors that Dion and Colorado have some mutual interest. Don't yeah. know how reliable that is. Uh, see what Stanford has to do. I don't know what they're going to do, but um, you know, I think Arizona State with this hire, like it's kind of like the Dan Lanning hire. You know, Dan Lanning was a little more out of left field. I feel like uh, wasn't necessarily known to be like that was the guy right away, but at the same time. Could be a home run higher if they both hit because they are so young and so motivated to be you know up at the top. Yeah, it really could be. I'm surprised. I don't necessarily believe that there's anything uh, to the Deion Sanders Colorado stuff. 
Like I, I know that they have quote unquote mutual interest. I almost wonder though if Dion's just using it for leverage. You know what I mean? Like I, I know Colorado'd love to get Dion because Colorado needs talent. It's a place you can win, but you have to have some talent there. Uh Dion can recruit. We all know that. And he showed he's he's at least a pretty good coach. I mean, obviously, you know, he's not, you know, playing big time power five football, but Look, I mean, Jack, they ran the table. So, obviously, uh, he's a hot commodity. And I just don't know if he's actually interested in Colorado or if he's interested in getting an offer from Colorado and then using that to get interest somewhere else. It would be a big get, though. Now, Stanford, even with their record, I'll be honest, I was surprised that David Shaw stepped down and I imagine it's one of those things where it was sort of a mutually agreed I mean David Shaw so respected so resp- I mean he, he had support even within Stanford and the future of Stanford's going to be very very interesting because look they that's you're talking about using the transfer portal like you can't just do that at Stanford with the academic requirements it's really hard to compete in that way when now it's Almost like there's, you know, free agency in college football. That's going to be a big time challenge for whoever takes that job. Now, maybe they can work to maybe adjust those academic requirements a little bit. No, it's, you know, obviously Stanford's not going to turn into a community college, but maybe they can sort of tweak that a little bit so that they're able to get in and use that transfer portal just a little bit more. Because look, Stanford. In this day and age of college football here in 2022, about to turn the the calendar over to 2023, they're at a disadvantage now. You know, and and growing up, it it didn't matter who was at Stanford. They always had big-time guys. It's just endless, you know, post routes, jump balls into the end zone, and a big-time running back. It doesn't matter who the personnel actually is. Stanford is dangerous. Stanford is there. Stanford has six-foot-four-and-a-half wide receivers that can go get the ball. And now... Well, you know, those guys are going elsewhere, you know, and it's in the transfer portal. USC grabbing Jordan Addison. I mean, and on and on and on. They need, uh, if they decide that they do want to compete more in the football space, and, uh, you know, obviously they're always going to be an academic school, obviously, but if they do want to compete a little bit more there, they're going to have to make some sort of concession when it comes to those academic requirements. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know, frankly, even if it's going to happen, but I do know that as it stands right now, Stanford is at a major disadvantage, and it's just one of those things, they didn't necessarily do it to themselves, you know, they were always the academic school that also, you know, we graduate kids, we play great football, uh, and we put out, you know, doctors and, and uh, you know, these great, you know, young professionals out into the world, well, n- well now that's going to be a little bit of a challenge, just with the nature of the sport in this day and age. So, yeah, a lot going on in the coaching carousel. I haven't heard any potential names for that Stanford job. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens there. And I wish uh, David Shaw the best. He said, <laughs> I watched uh, some of his press conference as well, and he said, look, it's just time. It's just time. I've been here 16 years. I think he's a head coach of 12 of those 16 and he says, I'm not burned out. I feel physically good. I'm good. But, you know, I was in the NFL, and at least in the NFL, there's an off season. But college football does not stop. And what he means by that is, okay, once the season's over, you hit the road and you start recruiting. At least in the NFL, 
how he put it, you can go home and just sleep for days. And he said he would do that. He'd just stay in bed for like two days. His wife would be, are you here yet? No, I'm not here yet. Okay. And then he'd sleep for another day or two. Okay, now I'm back. I'm back. And it's the offseason. And being a college coach, you don't really have the luxury of doing that. I, I mean, I know they've, they had the dead period. We have the dead period, you know, and there's going to be another one. You know, spring break is the next time after this uh, quick dead period that the coaches are even going to potentially have just a little bit of time off to recharge. So the way he put it, he goes, look, man, every year being a college coach, it's like five years in reality. And uh, that kind of that stuck with me. I thought that that was a great point that he had made. Uh, if you're just tuning in, I do want to let you know, no, I, well, yes, I am Peter Sampson, but no, I'm not filling in for JC. He is going to be here. We were just having a few technical difficulties. I'm going to throw it to a break. We will be back very shortly on the BFT Radio Network. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, I don't know what you thought of the football game between Oregon and Oregon State. Civil War football game. That's what we're calling it uh, until somebody tells us what the name of this thing is. But I don't know what you thought of the game. But I got to tell you, I had a few things, a few big takeaways from Saturday. First and foremost, uh, I got to say there's a whole bunch of overreaction that is going to happen whether you win or whether you lose a football game. There's just a whole bunch of overreaction that happens. That's kind of the way people react in the wake of a win or a loss. So let's let's take a deep breath if you're a Duck fan calling for the firing of Dan Lanning or a Beaver fan calling for a lifetime contract for Jonathan Smith, although we will talk about that on today's show. But I also would say, like, look, nine wins is a great football season. If you look at the history of Oregon and Oregon State football, and I told you once upon a time, uh, hey, uh, years from now, we're all going to look at a nine-win football season, and we're going to look at it uh, as if uh, it is nothing, and we're going to look at it, at, you know, uh, we're going to turn our nose up at it at nine wins. That's happening at Oregon right now. And I think it's worth acknowledging that Oregon is a victim of its own success in some regard. Uh, I think that's that's evident that, that if you're an Oregon Duck fan, you have to be thinking that, hey, uh, the success that Oregon has had over the years, Mario Cristobal, Chip Kelly, uh, even Mark Helfrich taking the Ducks to the in the 2015 season to the national championship game, uh, I think that you know Dan Lanning's paying a tax on that right now. That said, he did some reckless things on Saturday. He failed to learn from the lesson two weeks earlier in the Washington game, which is, punt the damn football when you're on your end of the field, especially against a Beavers team that has not shown you it can throw the ball, punt the ball away, let your defense uh, stop the run game, and, uh, you know, get about trying to slow Oregon State down. For people who looked at the box score on Saturday, you see the final score, but what you don't see are the final 25 plays. I couldn't believe, as I went back and watched the 20 the you know the final 25 plays of the Oregon State offense that 21 of their 25 second half plays were running plays all 15 offensive plays in the fourth quarter where they beat Oregon 21 to 3 came on the ground like you've heard that dissected like just absorb that for a moment on how remarkable that is when you consider the the outcome of the game 
Like, Oregon knew that Oregon State couldn't throw the ball and wouldn't throw the ball and still couldn't stop the Beavers. And it almost, to me, felt like, like, people kept saying to me, what happened? What do you think happened? It almost felt to me that Oregon started the football game a lot like a boxing match, came out, threw a bunch of punches, threw a bunch of haymakers, knocked Oregon State down a couple of times uh, early in the third quarter in particular, and then uh, kind of ran out of steam. And then it was like we're watching Rocky Balboa come back and you know just body blow the opposition uh, right out of the ring. And so I think uh, it was really remarkable to kind of watch the what unfolded on Saturday in person. Uh, I, w- I I felt like it for Jonathan Smith and his program was a landmark moment. I mean, Oregon State, it was a big moment for them to match their in-state rival with nine wins. But let's make no mistake, a nine and three season for Oregon State, a nine and three season for Oregon, like, you know, Stephen, Peter, I I I'm looking at that and I'm going, hey, this is two teams that finished nine and three. One of them feels crappy about itself as it goes into Sunday morning. The other one's ready to throw a parade. Yeah, and I mean, for Oregon State, it'll be their first uh, 10 win season to get in 2006 if they get the win. So I, I, you know, I think it's such a big win for Oregon State. We've been talking about the steps that the Beavers need to take in Jonathan Smith, and this was another one. And, you know, me and Peter were talking about this. John, it what didn't seem like it was as if Oregon State was out talented. They stood up head to head, toe to toe with a very talented, very athletic Oregon team, and they stuck right with it. I thought Jonathan Smith, you know, we talked about at the start of the year, he thinks on talent alone they could get to Vegas. I think tonight or last or on Saturday, you know, not that they're going to Vegas, but he proved that that statement was correct and that the Oregon State Beavers are here to stay and they're improving a lot as the season goes on. I think so much of it too. Oh, I'm sorry, John. It's it's no, go ahead. it's just about expectations, right? And you can have reasonable expectations and unreasonable expectations, and we're seeing both of those on both teams. It's just, you're so right that it's just so interesting to see the gamut of reactions. I mean, some Duck fans, uh, it's a minority, but they're even like, you know, it wasn't a terrible season. First year head coach. There are some growing pains. It was great. It was sort of along the lines of what we predicted on this show last year when the when the hire was made. Made, uh, all the way to just extreme, you know, we need to make, you know, personnel changes, all that nonsense. It's just, it's all about having reasonable expectations as a fan. And, and it's about quarterbacks, too, because it's a quarterback-centric game. And it was really interesting because in the summer, we did. We talked about this all the time that, you know, Oregon's coaching staff had a first-time, first-year head coach. It had a first-time, first-year, really, play caller in Kenny Dillingham. And Tosh LaPoy on the defensive side of the ball, you know, he got, he got run out at Alabama because he wasn't very good as a defensive play caller. And so it was kind of like, where are they going to lean in their tough moments? You know, will they have growing pains? And we talked about that at length on the show. I got a lot of email over the weekend from listeners who said, hey, I can remember you guys talking about the fact that, hey, we're going to have to be patient. There are going to be some Mario Cristobal-like moments because we're watching a first-time head coach learn how to be a CEO and learn how to run a program and learn how to make a decision on his side of the field on fourth down and one. But I think, you know, I was a little surprised early on as they won games and they had success outside of the Georgia game. They started to get some momentum that we weren't really seeing that that lack of experience with the coaching staff manifest itself. And Bo Nix, a healthy Bo Nix, I think covered up a lot of flaws. And it got me thinking about Michael Penix Jr. and Kalen DeBoer, like, you know, how much better a season Washington had because Michael Penix Jr. was healthy. And, 
And in the Apple Cup, I mean, he just was able to go up to, up and down the field throwing the football and give Washington State all kinds of problems. And he did the same thing against Oregon. And so I really do think we would have a different story to tell here today if Bo Nix had stayed healthy. But that's part of football. And Oregon knew that Bo Nix had a bad wheel. Like, you know, is it a broken ankle? I've heard that. Is it a bad foot? I've heard that. I mean, and we don't quite know what the injury is. But on fourth and one from your own 29, in a rivalry game with a Rose Bowl somewhere in the distance at stake, you know, if they get to Vegas and they beat USC, they're going to the Rose Bowl. Like, there was a Rose Bowl hanging in the balance for Oregon on fourth and one, and they had Bo Nix carry the football. And listeners of this show know it was Jaden Grant who made the tackle, a seventh-year senior who's got like four degrees. He's not going to be fooled by that play. He was he was hunting for it. And, you know, and, and hopefully he'll join us on Thursday and talk about that. But it just was really telling to me that, like, I think Oregon State's coaching staff, more experienced. They outcoached Oregon. I think Oregon State's players continued to play. I think both of these teams had – Issues with injuries and players were, you know, neither team was at full strength. No excuses there. But I got to give credit today to Oregon State. They kept playing amid some bad officiating. They kept playing down by 21 points in the second half. They just kept playing. I want you to leave it here. Our big splash is coming up. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what your reaction was to watching the Civil War meltdown or comeback, thrilling comeback. If you're an Oregon State fan, right? I mean, look, let's be real. Uh, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat was on display Saturday at Research Stadium. I want your phone calls. 503-417-7575 is the number. Coming up top of the hour, Shante Liggins, the men's basketball coach, University of Portland, will be joining us. I think they have the best men's basketball team in the uh, in the state right now. We'll talk to Shantae about uh, his experience over the weekend, playing uh, some high-caliber opposition, damn near beat Michigan State yesterday. Uh, but let's go to the phone lines. Cam is in Eugene listening on Fox Sports, Eugene. Cam, thanks for uh, calling in. What's on your mind? Hey, John, I'm calling with concerns as a Duck fan about Dan Lanning. Before I get to that, credit to Oregon State and, and Coach Smith. And, by the way, welcome back. It's great to have a healthy rivalry with a game that means something at the end of the year. It's nice to see. Even if Saturday was rough for years, truly. I'm looking as a Ducks fan. I'm hearing all these concerns, and well noted, most of them anyway. But the thing that's got me wondering is where is Dan Lanning? He was the defensive coordinator on a national title team, and I was concerned because you looked at the staff around him. Head coach was a defensive mastermind. He had a defensive consultant that was really good on defense. I think he's now the defensive coordinator. He used to be a head coach, and you wonder, is Dan Lanning bringing what made Georgia's defense special to Eugene? And it didn't look like it against Georgia, obviously, but now at the end of the season, you look at the numbers, statistically not very different, and you can't stop a team that is behind by multiple scores and can't pass the ball, and you're, you're the SEC defensive guru coming out west, That that's really my concern at this point, is I haven't seen any real growth in defense and kind of wondering where that is. Yeah, look, I 
Cam, I think that uh, you have valid concerns. I think that if you're a Duck fan, you have to kind of wonder about the defensive coordinator, Tosh Lupoi. It looked to me like Dan Lanning had taken a far larger role with Oregon's defense in the last couple of weeks. Uh, really disappointed, though, with the defensive performance because I, I look at Oregon's parts and I go, look, the sum not as uh, not as dynamic as the parts like you know i look at the linebackers i look at uh, the defensive linemen and i go why couldn't that team stop oregon state when it knew oregon state was running the ball they could not stop the beavers mark's in portland mark welcome to the show hey how's it going um going okay thank god for the money line bet um as an, <laughs> as an oregon fan, i you know <clears throat> with the comeback like that it's always an epic comeback like that. There's always an epic comeback, you know, Oregon State running the ball, doing what they did, but there's also an epic collapse. And the, to me, the big play in this game was the drop punt at the, at the one-yard line. It was right after Oregon State scored a touchdown, they got another touchdown, and suddenly the, you know, the three-score lead was a one-score lead. And, uh, it, you know, it happened fast. And I, I felt the Ducks' season kind of ended the same way it began. It's like they never shook that Georgia loss. They heard about it. It was always in the background. You know, always the way this is set up, it was always a big, you know, is Oregon really that good? And they kind of finished the season the same way they started. And Bo Nix, you're right, John, he covered up a lot of uh, deficiencies. I mean, if he's healthy, they're, they're probably, you know, they're probably undefeated maybe. Well, they, yeah, they, I mean, I, they lose the Georgia game, but you're right. They're undefeated in conference play. And I think well, uh, I think Michael Penix Jr. might be doing the same thing at Washington. Like, I wonder if there's a little bit of fool's gold that is going on with, uh, you know, uh, with Washington's success. Uh, because defensively, Washington, not a great team. They have no run game. It, it is really built around Michael Penix Jr. And maybe that's just college football. If your quarterback's healthy and he's in the game and. You know, you, you always have a chance to win. And when he's not healthy, you're in real trouble. Let's go to Mike in Portland. Mike, go ahead. Oh, my God. Hey, John. Um, yeah, man, uh, if you listen to the post-game um, interview from Dan Lennon and Bo Nix, they pretty much told you what was going on. Every time the reporter asked Dan Lennon a question about what happened in the game, he had no answer. He He, he would say, I got to go back and look at the film. I got to go back and look at the film. He should have knew in real time what happened. And then when Bo Nix gave his post-game interview, he let something slip. When it came to that call where I think it was a, they were fourth and 20-something, and he, took, he kept the ball and ran, Bo Nix said, I wish I could take that one back. So what that told me is that Bo Nix was making the decisions, not Dan Lennon. Bo Nix was pretty much doing on-field coaching out there. Because let's face it, Bo Nix had more experience than Dan Lennon have on offense. So I think that Dan Lennon left a lot of those decisions up to Bo Nix. So... If you go back and listen to the post-game uh, interviews, yeah. they are basically telling you what went down. Anyway, Matt. Yeah, look, I, I, think, yeah, I think it was evident that Oregon didn't have an answer. Um, I think it, it was concerning that they didn't have an answer. I think personnel-wise, it was evident that Oregon State, uh, 
physically in the fourth quarter dominated the football game. I mean, they ran the football 15 times and they could not be stopped. They went right down the field. It was like a boxing match and they wanted no more. Roy's in Portland. Roy, I'm curious to get your take on this. You're a Georgia fan. Go ahead, Roy. John, 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 man. To all the Oregon fans, I told you guys at the beginning of the season, I said Dan Lennon was not coaching the Georgia defense. Nobody wants to listen to me. I said he was not coaching the He was the defensive coordinator and name only. He wasn't doing anything at Georgia. It was Will Muschamp and Kirby Smart. But nobody wants to listen. And, oh, well, oh, Dan Lanning is going to be such great. No, he's not. I mean, listen, if you take Jonathan Smith, John, I called four years ago and told you that Jonathan Smith was going to be a superstar. Did I not say that? You did, John, yeah. You, you were on the Smith bandwagon early. Yes. I mean, I know a coach when I see one. Okay, I mean, Dan Lennon, God love him, he may turn out to be a great coach, but University of Oregon is not a learning-on-the-job is not a learning on the job uh, school, you know? He needed to start off at University of Nevada somewhere before he came to Oregon. And I love your article on johnconzano.com, man, about Mullins. I think Mullins got cute. I think the AD of Oregon got cute. Uh, he got cute and hired a guy that should not be the coach of University of Oregon. I'm sorry, he's a great guy. He may be a great recruiter. It's tons of coaches out here that are great recruiters. That doesn't mean they should be the coach of University of Oregon. I'm going to tell you what, John. Marcus Arroyo just got fired from UNLV. If you put Marcus Arroyo's resume next to uh, Dan Lanning, Marcus Arroyo's resume blows Dan Lanning's resume out the water. But he could even coach UNLV, Arroyo. If you put, if you put Lanning on any other team, Without the five and four star recruits, you, you're going to have a sub 500 team. He is not ready to be. I'm, I'm sorry, he is not. Yeah. A universal I, I wonder, Roy. I appreciate the call. I wonder if what Dan Lanning really needs is. I think you know he obviously needs an offensive coordinator now. He. I wonder if he needs a D coordinator as well. Somebody who's experienced. Somebody who can uh, come in and help him with the things that uh, he apparently is not burst on but because it was evident as oregon state ran the football down oregon's throat that oregon didn't have an answer I and mean, that was evident uh we're going to visit with shantae leggins the university of portland men's basketball coach at the top of the hour but i want you if you want to talk about the civil war to hang on we won't deviate long and when we come back i want you all in sean and sandy is holding josh in vancouver's holding bruce in portland is holding tannis is in Corvallis. he was in the student section He's holding. I want to hear from you. I've got a couple of lines still open, 503-417-7575. Sit in, listen to Shantae Leggins talk about basketball and, you know, his weekend, and, and then we'll get right back to the talk about this Civil War debacle. Really. You got the bald-faced truth. I want you to leave it here. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. Yo.
We'll talk more Oregon, Oregon State uh, coming back uh, later this hour, but I want to deviate just for a second. If you're already holding, hang on. Tannis and Corvallis, hang on. Bruce, Josh, Sean, and Sandy, hang on. We're going to get back to talking about what happened with Oregon and Oregon State. But I want to talk uh, just for a couple of minutes here with Shante Leggins, the men's basketball coach, University of Portland. And they had a terrific weekend. Damn near beat number one North Carolina. Pushed Michigan State to the mattresses. Uh, took them to the wall uh, yesterday in a game uh, UP probably should have won. Shante Leggins joining us. How are you, Coach? How you doing, man? How did that feel? Uh, it felt great. Thanks for having me on. Um, it, it felt good to play in the games. It, it felt uh, terrible to lose. Uh, I thought we, 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 we put ourselves in a good spot to win both games. Um, and we just didn't make it happen. So we, we learned a lot this weekend. So it was it was a good it was exciting. I'm glad we got to do that, especially in the in the Portland areas. It was an awesome tournament. You guys, uh, you have some good players. I mean, that's obvious. And I I couldn't help but think as I was watching you guys play, uh, both against Carolina and Michigan State. I I kept thinking, you know, I need to get out and see this team play in person. What it, what was it like for your guys? It, you know, obviously you don't want to take a moral victory, but you look up and. Like you're playing with two highly ranked teams and pushing them. I I, I truly believe, and this is you know no no blowing smoke. Out. I think our guys really really believe they were going to win. You know, uh, we lost the the first game against North Carolina. Our guys were kind of heartbroken. We played good. You know, we played good enough to win. We just didn't handle our business on the off on the on the defensive glass, and we came back and played really good against Villanova. And then uh, we we again we we were in the game. We thought we had the game won. Uh, you know, at least I did when we were playing. I thought we were playing good basketball against Michigan State, and a couple plays here and there changed the, changed the outcome of the game. But you got to give them credit. But our our boys thought they were going to win, and so uh, that's the best feeling as a coach. You know, when you look in your players' eyes and they had no doubt that they were going to win. And you know, I had to talk to them about sometimes you play a good game and you lose, and that was that was a tough thing this weekend. But again, good learning lessons for us this whole weekend. I think you got some bad officiating at the end of the second game. I don't know if they can find you for what you say on radio, but you you did not look happy at the end of regulation yesterday. I was not happy. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, you shouldn't. Uh, I tell my guys all the time. I preach. You know, keep a straight, keep a you know, keep a level head. You know, control what you can control, and I can't control how the game gets called. And you know, I talk to my guys about it all the time. I didn't, I didn't preach that. So I have line drills tomorrow with the guys. Uh, for the offensive rebound, so I'll run a little bit with them. Um, but that's that's uh, that's something that again that's, that's that's for all of us. You know, we're in a it was a high high intense game, and you know uh, I let I let a couple of those a uh, couple of those calls and a couple of plays get to me uh, towards the end of that game, and I got to be much better. But our our guys will learn from it. I'll learn from it. Uh, but yeah, I wasn't too happy uh, with how the game went um, on that side of the ball. You guys, did you get confidence from a game like that where, you know, it looked like a tournament game yesterday? I mean, the Michigan State game looked like a tournament game. You you guys belonged. It looked like, you you know, they looked, they were nervous. I looked over at Tom Izzo. He had that look on his face. I covered him years ago. He looked a little worried, Shante. Yeah, no, it, it felt like that. I've, I've played in the tournament as a player, and I played uh, and I coached in one um, as an assistant. I've coached in one as a head coach, and it felt like that. You know, the atmosphere was great. You know, you had, you had you had Michigan State fans all in there screaming, and it was loud, and it was exciting, and and uh, everybody was excited uh, about the game, and and just going back and forth and, and playing a game like that was was a lot of fun for us, and and uh, you know we we want to get to that again, and we want to play against opponents like that to give us our you know opportunities. But yeah, you hit it right on the head. You know, uh, it was just like a tournament game. 
Shante Leggins, our guest, University of Portland men's basketball coach. I, you know, I tweeted earlier, I said, you know, I think UP is the best men's team in the state right now. How do you maintain, how do you build on what you have done in this early part of the season? You just got to keep stacking and you got to keep getting better. You know, we talked to our guys about consistency, uh, but we also, you know, I, I talked to our guys, you know, in the beginning of the season about as you, as you have this season and you start to play well, you got to handle success. And that's, that's going to be the toughest thing, you know, um, is handling the success of, of the season. You know, anybody, you know, you let things go to your head. You let, you know, different things, you know, creep in. Well, I'm not doing this. And so we've talked about that a lot, you know, handling success. You know, we, we lost two games here, but everyone's pat, patting you on the back, telling you you played pretty good. Uh, I tell them, you know, don't let, don't let that creep into you. you. You still lost. You know, we, we got to get better. Those need to be wins, you know, especially in close games. We have teams like Gonzaga and St. Mary's in our league. We play Oregon. Um, you know, this year we, we have some good home games coming up right now against North Dakota, North Dakota, North Dakota State, Oklahoma. And so, you know, we have games coming up here where we have to make sure we're, we're playing our best basketball because anybody can beat you, and, and we got to play that way. And so if they don't handle, you know, the, the, the people saying good stuff about you um, and, and just say they weren't saying it before, then you got to keep them moving forward. And so that's one thing we did talk to our guys about. Yeah, for people who want to check out uh, University of Portland men's basketball, they will be playing Wednesday, Wednesday, 7 o'clock at home, and then Saturday at home against North Dakota, and then the following Monday at home against North Dakota State. So if you want to see some basketball, uh, this is a program that you can jump. Is there room on the bandwagon? Like, can people can people jump on now? Are you okay with that? We'll take anybody. We'll take anybody and everybody to come out and check us out. We even take GU fans so they can come scout for their team. Anybody wants to come to any games, come on out. Um, we play a fun style of basketball. Our kids are, you know, they, they're well-behaved. They play they play the game the right way. They move the ball. They pass it. We're one of the top 20 teams in the country in passing, so you get to see a fun style of, of basketball when the ball's moving around. Everybody's touching it. So it's a lot of fun to come out, and, and it's, it's a great environment. Our, our gym is awesome. Kids get to run. My kids, you can see my kids run around the gym. They go everywhere. They're up top. They, there's a lot of places to play for kids, and, and you can focus on the game while the kids have fun. Yeah, give us an idea. You know, you walk away from yesterday's game, and you know, I and I kept looking at Alden uh, Applewhite and Tyler Robertson, and and I and I thought, you know, uh, this is a team that is easy to root for and plays hard. And you talk about playing the right way. Coaches always say that, but I can tell when I see it, it's it's it was a team where I went, you know what? Like this would be a good game to bring the girls out and just as a family go see a basketball game. And you know, it does doesn't have to be a blazer game because you could sit down and you can get close to the action and watch a team that I think is a really good basketball team. Yeah, 100%, you know, and, and like you said, you, you can't get behind this team. You know, they, 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 they go through it. You can see their emotions. They, they put everything into it. You know, they wake up for breakfast club in the morning. They get their shots in by themselves. You know, they, they work on their game. They go to school. So this is a team you definitely can get behind, you know, and, and it's, a, it's a fun team and they have a lot of fun doing it. They got great personalities. And you could you come to the game, you get to see that you get to see their personalities, you know, and, and that's something that, you know, is exciting for me is because, you know, I get to put them out in the community. They go out and do some community service. They go, you know, and they go around and they do different things. And so, you know, we, we want to be out in the community as much as possible because we have, you know, very good young student athletes that, that want to do that and they want to be a part of it because they want everybody to come support them. So, you know, we, you know, we're trying to, trying to make sure that everyone sees us out there and doing the work. And then, you know, we hope we, you know, reciprocate that and have people come to our game. There, there was something about North Carolina uh, on last Thursday and watching you guys play against them. You know, you were tied with them late 
And I thought, let's yeah. see if, if UP's guys know how to close a game. And I felt like in that game, North Carolina had been there, knew how to do it. it am I making too much of that? Is there something to the experience that you have when you win a lot and knowing how to, to finish a game? No, that, that, that's huge. You know, we're not... Knowing how to win games is, is, is what, you know, we, we do. You know, we, we, we work on it daily. And so when you play against a team that was just in the championship game um, last year and, and they have all those players returned and they, they got a kid in Larry Nance, his son, um, you, you know you know it's going to be a game that goes down. And they made every play you needed to make at the end of that game. They made big shots. You know, we had three shots I thought were great shots for our team. And, you know, they rattle in and out and they come down and they shoot – kind of a similar shot, much tougher shot, but it goes in. And so you know, as, as we go through the season, they're gonna, we're going to have another game against another good opponent that's going to really come down to us making plays. And us having this experience against these really good teams is really going to put, you know, we'll be able to put our best foot forward in those situations. So you hit, you hit, you said exactly, you said it correctly. You know, they had, they made all the plays at the end of the game. They were the more experienced team and, and they were, they were ready for the moment. And, and as our guys, you know, keep preparing, and our our guys keep getting better. We'll be ready for that moment. Uh, it could come on. It could come Wednesday. It could come. You know, it could come any time. But we got to be ready for it. And we were able to uh, work on that you know, in, in that situation. We we're able to teach the guys. Hey, look what they did here. They went and got that big, huge rebound. You know, so we're able to teach the guys through through those moments, which is which is pretty cool. All right, you're ha- you look like you're having fun too, and and I know uh, at the end of the game you're drawing up plays, and Tom Izzo's down the other way. That's got to be fun for you as a coach. Man, it was unbelievable, you know, coaching against Tom Izzo. You know, I've got recruiting letters from Tom Izzo. You know, my, my mother uh, loved, you know, <laughs> my mother loved Tom Izzo. She, she, she always told me, when you get your team, you better put them in helmets and shoulder pads just like he does. And I'm like, my guy didn't like that, Ma. <laughs> uh, but, you know, but that, you know, I, I've watched him growing up. I watched him on Big Mondays. I've watched him win a national championship with Mateen Cleese and, you know, I, I got this. I got last night. I got to meet Steve Smith, one of my favorite players of all time. He was at the game, so it was it was a really really exciting moment uh, to be able to coach against somebody like that. And you know, I tell the players, you gotta you gotta live these moments and have a good time with it. You know, you get to play North Carolina, you get to play Illinois, Michigan State, and so those are games that they won't forget. You know, as they grow older and and they're talking to their kids and they're talking you know talking about how they play this school. This, these types of games are the ones they remember. You know, and and uh, what what they could have done, or how we could have done better, or look at how we closed out the game against Villanova. Those are those are great moments for these young men, and I'm just glad I get to you know be a part of it with them and be a part of their journey. But for me, being able to coach against a Hall of Fame coach like Tom Izzo, uh, that's something that's like a bucket list deal. You know, that's, that's awesome all right. For me. All right. So Wednesday, Multnomah is playing at Portland at UP seven o'clock. Saturday, five o'clock, North Dakota is at Portland, and then the following Monday, North Dakota State. Uh, at Portland, yeah. uh, seven o'clock. Uh, get your tickets. Go see this team play. Now, Shantae, people don't know this. Like, you know, my uh, your kids, they're in karate, right? Is that right? You yep. are you yep. sitting outside the dojo right now? No, I just picked them up and they just got in the car. You may hear some, <laughs> some craziness okay. now. Okay, so wh- what are they getting out of karate? How did it go today? How did how did the uh, yeah. class go? Uh, they're, they're going through it right now. Um, oh, okay. They're on their way there. Out of it, okay. Yeah, they're on their way there. They're getting a lot out of it, though. They're, they're learning. They're learning. What are the three things you're learning in karate? Say it loud. Attention, respect, discipline. Attention, respect, discipline. They're teaching them better than me. 
I love it. All right. I'd be good. If I could teach him attention, respect, discipline, we'd be living. All right. Listen, hey, keep doing what you're doing. You're a good dad. Uh, Wish you uh, some happy holidays here. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. You look like you were having fun. And I hope people go see University of Portland play. I think they're playing the best men's basketball in the state right now. Check them out. Support Shantae Leggins and and the Pilots. Thanks, Shantae. Thank you so much for having me on. He's right. Come support us. We're a fun group. And uh, thank you very much for having me. Go Pilots. There you go. All right. Listen, I was I was watching him play yesterday, and I, I haven't s- shared this with Anna, but I said, you know what? We should go. We should go check them out. We should go see them. All right. Now you're going to get the floor. Sean and Sandy, Josh in Vancouver, Bruce in Portland, Tannis and Corvallis. You're up next. I want to hear from you. I still have a line open at 503-417-7575. Share with me what you thought of the Civil War. What you thought of Oregon and Oregon State. Are you concerned as a Duck fan or are you going, no, 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 no. If Bo Nix was healthy, we'd be having a much different conversation now. Are you excited? Are you ready to give Jonathan Smith a lifetime contract if you're an Oregon State fan? I want to hear from you. Back to the bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I really do hope that you support Shantae Leggins, the men's basketball coach in his program at University of Portland. And Jace Coburn at Portland State, they beat Oregon State again. 2-0 and against the Beavers this season. So I'm ranking, and I did it on Twitter, but I'm ranking the men's basketball teams in our state. And I think I'm going University of Portland, like the, the rankings right now, today. University of Portland men's basketball won. I'll put Oregon two. I'll put Oregon. No, I'll put Portland State three. They beat Oregon State twice head to head. And I'll put the Beavers fourth. Steven, do you agree with my rankings? I mean, I think if you talk right now, this moment, yes, because of the injuries, but Oregon is still a better team than Portland at this, you know, in the long run. I, I think if they're I, healthy. Yeah, if they're healthy, I think I would still favor Oregon um, if I was betting on the game. But Portland is a really good team, and I was high on them coming into the year as a uh, as a small college basketball guy. I love watching these small colleges. Uh, I played against UP when I was at Concordia. Like I, you know, Shante Leggins talked about how you know these guys are going to remember playing those games against North Carolina and Villanova, Michigan State. Like I played against Oregon and Oregon State, Boise State, Portland. Like those are the things I remember from when I played. And he's totally right. And this team is a good team. You know, I love Ken Palm. I love to look at you know the rankings. He has Oregon, or he, I mean, he has Portland right at uh, 103, right outside the top 100. West Coast Conference, a top 10 conference in the nation. Like, there's good competition to go watch at the Child Center, and they're a good, fun young team to watch. So uh, I'm excited, man. Yeah, they got good players, and uh, I think they're well coached. And I wonder how long UP can hang on to Shantae. That's the question. If I'm Cal, that's the guy I'm going after. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. I want to talk about the Oregon-Oregon State Civil War football game. Uh, we've talked about it a little bit on the show today, but let's jump out. I want your feedback on what you saw uh, as these two teams met on Saturday. Let's go to Tannis, who's in Corvallis. Tannis, were you in the student section? Yes, I was in the student section. Third or fourth row, I can't remember, 25-yard line on the terrace side. And let me just say that probably was the loudest, most electric atmosphere research that I've heard definitely my five years here. Um yeah, I'm sorry. I'm losing my voice quickly with that. That's all right. I'm scared to call. That's so. all right. Did you storm the field after the game? 
Oh, we we didn't even. I was pretty much telling everybody we're not waiting the sixty seconds. Jump over once that clock hits zero, or the last knee is on the ground. One of the two. So that that was definitely the best experience I've had, probably at Oregon State as a whole, not just the football program. So. Yeah, you know there was there was uh, obviously a lot of emotion, and, and you know there were some people who left the stadium. Did you see people leaving when the Beavers were down twenty-one in the third quarter? I saw some people getting up and walking out. There were some, but like at, for everyone that was below, like that main concourse, no, yeah. no one there that I saw left. So props no, to all the students who stayed. I think some in the overflow section did leave though, because like even just like last year. I don't think if we were down 21, I think there would be a lot more people leaving. So just shows how far the program's come since even yeah. just a year ago, let alone five, six years ago, and you were two and 10. Well, I, you know, look, I was walking around the field afterwards and I was kind of, you know, I was steering clear of you students because you guys are crazy. But I, I thought to myself, you know, my daughter it goes to school there and I kind of was like, you know what? I'm I'm glad she's at a school now that has a proper football program. Like you know, you you guys are competitive, and it's got to be a lot of fun every Saturday that they're playing a home game to know, hey, uh, you got somewhere to be. It's so much fun now because, like, even like just my first year here, 2018, it was like it was fun for the hype, and then once the game starts, like, oh, kick back to reality. Now it's like we can actually win. Every game that we try, okay, every game, game maybe except for Georgia, but Georgia's on a whole different level. So it's totally right. different experience now, and I've been loving every second of it. All right. Tannis, uh, are you graduating this year? Is this is, is this it I'm, for you, or are you going to – what's happening? Two weeks from now, I'm graduating. This is my last term, and I'm sad Congrats. about it. Thank you. What are you going to do? What are you, what are you studying? Um, I'm studying meteorology, better known as the weather. My goal is to go to graduate school afterwards where I do not know yet. Excellent. You know, we've got, uh, we've got a meteorologist in the family who works for the LPGA tour and his job is to just forecast weather for their golf tournaments. It's a phenomenal job. Wow. I didn't even know there was sports specific meteorologist. So that's yes. used to be. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I didn't know that either. And I was like, what are you doing now? And he's like, you know, I'm a meteorologist. I work for the LPGA. And like, so he travels around. And when they have like a tournament, you know, in, in Portland or wherever, uh, he's in town to kind of forecast the weather. And generally, it doesn't become a problem unless there's lightning or uh, other kinds of delays that they have to uh, make a ruling on. But pretty cool, pretty cool field. So get after it, Tannis. Good luck to you, man. And thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I will. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You bet. There's Tannis and Corvallis. Sounds like I, I don't I don't think he's been home, Stephen. I, I, Peter, I think he I think he left the game and he still hasn't gone home yet. Yeah, I mean, uh, let's go to the phone lines. Sean is in Sandy, wants to weigh in on the Oregon Oregon State rivalry football game. What's up, Sean? It's a long weekend for the Beavers fans, but I'm going to say to the Duck fans, you know, let's not have any knee jerk reactions to this heartbreaking loss and the coaching concerns. You know, wasn't uh, Oregon's defense just praised after the Utah win? And wasn't Michigan fans concerned about Co Coach Harbaugh just a couple years? So let's give Coach Lanning a little breathing room here and, and hats off to Jonathan Smith and the Oregon State Beavers. You know, both teams this year exceeded expectations, especially, you know, little brother Beaver. Look at Jonathan Smith coaching that Beaver tail off. 
You know, and if he ever gets to the Rose Bowl, they should make him Grand Marshal of the Rose Festival Parade. Yeah. Have a great well, day, this, this is probably the last traditional Rose Bowl that we may see. It might it might go the wayside to the wayside with uh, it being a playoff semifinal next season. But it, it makes it a big one. I also wonder about the little brother moniker that you threw out there. I don't know if you can throw that out there when you, you get beat. I don't know. That's debatable. Let's go to Jerry, uh, who is in Happy Valley. Jerry, welcome to the program. Thanks. And before I forget, I know you said that you're uh, glad that your daughter was someplace where there was a proper football uh, program. And uh, so you need to get yourself a proper dog, too, which is a Labrador retriever, not a small dog. Anyway, just keeping up with your family discussions. Keep Thank you. Consistent. I appreciate your support. I appreciate your support on that front. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Anyway, you know, I, I've, heard, I've heard it said, you know, oh, yeah, the Ducks lost this game. And, you know, the fact is that uh, there was some definite key mistakes. Obviously, that drop punt was huge. However, um, the Bees could easily have had a first and goal at the five, inside the five, with a questionable call early. But to, to, to credit the Ducks is, is good. But you cannot overlook the incredible synergy of an actual team defense that uh, that defense is just incredible. And the offensive line on the same exact page most of the game with uh, each other and with the running game. And the thing that excites me the most is seeing that I was out. I was watching the game at first. Then I went outside, was doing some work, and then I thought. And then you know, it was getting kind of bad. And then a little while later, my wife goes, "I think you might want to come back inside." <laughs> so I did. And the fact that that offensive line is mostly returning, and that Martinez is a freshman, uh, and that the Beavers weren't that far away from actually being eleven and one. They could easily have been 11-1. Uh, yeah, you need a you quarterback, know, though. You need a quarterback. Hey, look, give credit to the offensive line. In the second half, Oregon State averaged 7.1 yards per carry. Uh, in, and everybody knew they were running the football. 21 rushes, 149 yards for Oregon State. Only four passes, all of them in the third quarter. And Oregon State just won. You know, Oregon State won the fourth quarter. Won the, you know, they won the second half. I thought... It was really interesting, and I'll be I'm I'll be honest with you. Like I looked up early in the third quarter, Oregon State was down twenty one. I thought, gosh, they played better than that. They're going to get run out of this stadium. And I have to give credit to Jonathan Smith's team and to Trent Bray's defense. They kept playing. Oregon didn't, and Oregon State won the game as much as Oregon lost the game. Josh is in Vancouver. Josh, what's up, man? John, thanks for taking the call. Hey, you know. I, I sent you a message over the weekend and, and, you know, shared some thoughts about what I thought happened in that game. And, and the more that I keep thinking about it, the more that I keep coming back to kind of this, this additional conclusion um, that I think really Oregon is experiencing right now. And really I feel like this is kind of the sins of the past. And I feel like, you know, you calling question to Rob Mullins is a little bit at play here. Um, but really what this boils down to, man, is it boils down to culture. And this boils down to the fact that in that game, the minute adversity hit, you could see that the players didn't have confidence in the system. 
You could see in the Washington game, the minute Bo Nix got hurt, the players didn't have confidence in the system. Even going back to last year, I do not, I, I'm not going to sit here for one second and say that Utah was not a better overall team and probably doesn't win those games. But do I think Utah was that much of a better team? I don't think so. And I think that went back to even then, you know, the, the minute that the players had the rug pulled out from under them a little bit and they felt that the winds were changing, they had no confidence in the system. Uh, I think that this is a bigger problem. I, I don't think that this is a Dan Lanning problem. I don't think that this is a, an issue of, you know, you're going through these growing pains of a, of a young coach who's trying to figure out. Although I was disappointed in Dan Lanning that, that not just three weeks ago he's, taught, he's standing at a podium talking about, hey, man, I totally own this one and i got to take my lumps here. Would have been nice to see him learn from those lumps a little better. <laughs> However, this is a scenario, man, where – you don't have a culture. You don't have the depth and the understanding of, and the belief of a program, and that's exactly what Oregon State had in Jonathan Smith. The minute adversity hit and they got down 21 points, those players believed if they stayed the course, they had a chance, and they let mistakes and mistakes by the other coaching staff happen, and the game came back to them because they believed and stayed the course. It's really unfortunate to see, but I think Oregon's got to figure some things out with getting themselves some consistency, or they're gonna we're gonna keep seeing this year after year after year. Thanks, John. I appreciate the call. 503-417-7575. I got lines open. Bruce in Portland's gonna lead us off in the next segment, but then it's your turn. I want you to tell me what you saw when Oregon and Oregon State played. Are you concerned about Dan Lanning's future? Are you concerned about the defensive side of the ball? And if you're a Beaver fan, are you ready to hand Jonathan Smith a lifetime contract? You got the BFT statewide. Leave it here. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, Oregon State has extended the contract of defensive coordinator Trent Bray. Kind of feels like they'll have to do something with Jonathan Smith next. What bowl game will the Beavers end up in? Uh, we'll find out here in the coming days. But a lot of people thinking it was the Sun Bowl. Uh, I was just talking to a source uh, during the commercial break who says it's not done. Uh, of course, if USC beats Utah in Friday's Pac-12 championship game, uh, it is likely that USC is going to the playoff. And the Rose Bowl would then have the option of taking either Washington or Utah or, it, you know, they can they can choose from the cluster, so to speak. Probably would pick Washington in that scenario. Just I think they would have the higher college football playoff ranking, and so the Husky fans would be happy. They would go to the Rose Bowl. Uh, and that's why Saturday's game, last Saturday's game at Research Stadium was so important. There was a potential Rose Bowl berth at stake for Oregon. Now, though, uh, there is also a possibility that USC loses the game on Friday to, to Utah. And in that scenario, I think the Pac-12 would have possibly two New Year's Six Bowl teams as Utah would go to the Rose Bowl and USC would then go to another New Year's Six Bowl game, likely. But let's wait and see what happens. In the meantime, I want to talk about what happened Saturday at Reeser Stadium. Bruce in Portland's going to lead us off. We have lines open at 503-417-7575. Bruce, go ahead. What do you got, Bruce? What do you think? I think Oregon got their asses kicked. But uh, 
like uh, and Oregon State better sign Jonathan Smith to a lifetime contract. The bees are like, and kudos to the bees. You guys played well. Um, those guys are a, a pick and a long drive away from playing in Vegas next weekend. You know they were that good this year. Um, like I just reiterate what some other callers said. I didn't see any growth in the defense either. They, I mean, they didn't seem to get fine-tuned all season. They kept making the same mistakes, you know, these red zone penalties. I mean, these play-killing penalties they kept, you know, time and time again. Their play calling sucked, you know, the last couple of weeks. You saw it against the Huskies. You saw it, you know, this last Saturday against Oregon State. they got to take the points when they have them. You know, their special teams, I think, were horrendous this last weekend. That's what really let them down between Hudson's muffed you know, no fair catch, the, the, which led to that drop punt. The, the personal foul on a long Beaver kickoff return, you know, added tacked on another 15 yards. They had a block punt. You know, they had all kinds of, of problems in the special teams, you know. Um, and then to have first and goal on the five with a chance to take a lead and you run the same damn play two or three times in a row, zero creativity in the play calling. You know, I know Bo is hurt, but they could have done some run options, some play options, anything but what they were doing. You know, they were 0 for 5 on fourth downs. They were 4 of 13 on, like, third downs. We had 30 more plays than Oregon State, yet I know. You know, we, couldn't, we couldn't come out on top. Um, yeah, we had 83 plays to Oregon State's 56. That's the thing that just blew my mind. And when you look at it by you know, sort of the breakdown uh, by quarter in the game, and you look at the first half and the second half, you know, Oregon State in the second half ran uh, only 25 plays. Oregon ran 46, Bruce, and lost the game. You know, it was just, it was Oregon, you know, they had their chances. They had had their chances against Washington. If they would have just made the right play call, you know, at at critical moments. But do you think that part of that is Dan Lanning's youth, like, I expected we'd see it early on. We didn't, but we saw it in the Washington game, and I think we saw it again in this Oregon State game. I think you're seeing it. Yeah, you know, you're seeing these NFL coaches. You know, these young NFL coaches now are going for it on fourth downs. It's the analytics that people are providing. You know, that you know, say, hey, you're better off trying to go for it than than punting the ball when you can't stop a team. Though that's I, that's part of the reason that went for it against Washington. And I think Oregon State because they did. We didn't have an answer for them on defense. It's like we're better off trying to get the damn first down and giving them the ball back. But obviously that didn't turn out very well. Um, I think it's I think it's these young guys coming in and trying to just they're changing the game. You know, it's just a different game. Yeah, and I also think they're getting out coached by maybe the guys who have done it a little longer. Uh, terrific performance, I thought, by Jonathan Smith's coaching staff and. Trent Bray now gets a contract extension that takes him through 2024. Um, Oregon State giving him an extension there. The defense was fantastic. I expect Jonathan Smith will be the next news out of Oregon State. They have to do something, don't they? Jacob's in Eugene listening on Fox Sports Eugene. Jacob, what do you you see? Uh, Other than like a a total collapse at every level uh, at the (laughs) end of the third quarter into the fourth quarter, didn't see much, um, but I know there's still one game to go. But I'm gonna I'm gonna move on and like uh, say what I would like to see happen is obviously coaches come to Oregon and their alma mater starts licking their chops the second they sign at Oregon. So that has to stop until we can get a coaching staff that can develop with the player, and that includes Dan Lanning. I don't I wouldn't put it. Past, I mean I hope to God he stays and. and 
creates a really good program here because I think he is a good coach. But, you know, one of the bigger SEC schools comes calling, I think he's gone. <clears throat> but I would really like to see Dante come in next year and let's develop him as a quarterback. Let's not go to the transfer portal because there's going to be quarterbacks that are going to want to go places and Oregon's going to be like, oh, look at this guy. He threw for 3,000 yards and he rushed for 800. Let's bring him in and, and, and he can develop Dante more. No, let's not do that. Let's bring more in. Let's develop him. And again, I don't know who we could hire that has Oregon roots, but can we get a can we get a guy maybe uh, that can coach the offense that is an Oregon roots guy and the defensive coordinator? What the hell? I mean, I called in. Famously said, you know, the defense is always the problem. They showed out Utah. Great, that was awesome. And then it just shows like up, like they they showed up, and then. Well, I can't even put it on the defense because nobody performed yeah. in the second half. So I'm babbling on here. I'll, I'll, I'll listen yeah. off the air. Thanks. No, for. I don't. I don't. I don't mind. I think a lot of Oregon fans have been babbling on all weekend, like ever since the end of the game. And I think, and I don't blame them for it. You know, I think it was a very frustrating outcome for Oregon fans. Kevin's in Sandy. Kevin, what's on your mind? Um. Yeah. I mean, the way I look at it is, you know, it's way less complicated. When you look at the two losses, huge rivalry games, um, I can tell you Jonathan Stewart told his team throughout all of that, do not take your foot off the gas. The guy's been in the trenches with Oregon State. He's been there. He knows how to fire the guys up. They buy into him. They listen to him because they trust him because he's been there. Uh, Dan Lanning, he hasn't been there. He, I mean, he lost two big rivalry games, Washington and Oregon State. Those two knocked Oregon out of everything. Um, so I just I think that he I think the Ducks are a little arrogant. I think they went in there kind of coasting, like where the Ducks were, you know, I think they took their foot off the gas in both games, and I think it resulted in them losing. Um, I mean, I'll admit, I went and took a nap. I woke up, and then I came back, and I, I, had, I did a double-take of the TV, like, what the hell? Like, um, and yeah. I love to hear that we're calling it the Civil War game. It'll always be the Civil War game. So, yep, thanks, John. Appreciate the call. Uh, look, I'm going to call it Civil War until Oregon and Oregon State give us a name that, that uh, they want to call it. Uh, and I think, it, it, you know, I wrote the column on it. I talked to the history professors at Oregon and Oregon State now and at the University of New Hampshire, and they're all saying, yeah, we don't really see the correlation between uh, this being a negative uh, correlation with the Civil War, like wars are fought for different, for many reasons, not just one reason. And also, oh, by the way, there are, there are a lot of Civil War conflicts in other countries that have uh, no association. You know, if, if you use Civil War lowercase, um, you know, you could say there's a Civil War happening, you know, between the political parties in, in the in our country, but I don't want to get into that. Bill's in Portland. Bill, what's on your mind? I I have uh, thought uh, when the Ducks were down at the one-yard line and they had first down, and they're supposed to have two of the best, the best running tandem in the country, and then they put in James, who's a freshman, put him in for down one, they put him in for down two, and they put him in for down three, and they got nothing. And then they took him out for the fourth down, and they passed the ball. That's all I know. And, and that has to be on the offensive coordinator, I think, not the head coach. 
Yeah, I think I, I kind of felt like, look, in the pregame, I'm walking around the field in the pregame. I ran into Dennis Erickson, former Oregon State coach, took him to a Fiesta Bowl and uh, said hello to him, had a nice conversation with him. In fact, I should get him on tomorrow's show. He said, call me sometime. I said, okay, we'll get, we'll get you on. And then he pulled me close and he said, hey, he goes, you watch today. He goes, it's his time. And he was talking about Jonathan Smith, his old quarterback. And I said, okay. And I went down by the goalpost, right by where the Oregon State locker room uh, entrance is. And I'm standing down there, and, and lo and behold, Jonathan Smith walks out. And I said, hey, it's your time. This is uh, Your coach says, your time. And Jonathan Smith says, hey, uh, what's going on with the point spread? Because the point spread, did you guys notice this, Stephen? Peter, did you guys notice what happened to the point spread right before the game? Yeah, it went to yep. uh, Oregon minus one. It flipped. Yeah, It went from Oregon State being a three-point underdog to a one-and-a-half-point underdog to Oregon State being a favorite. And Jonathan Smith, like, you know, he's not interested in the point spread because, you know, he uh, he's interested in, like, the wagering aspect of the point spread. No, he's interested in the point spread because when it moves like that, it's often moving because somebody's injured. And he wanted to know, he goes, what, what's, he wanted to know what was happening. And it was tied, obviously, to Kenny Dillingham and his apparent uh, decision to agree to a deal with Arizona State while he was still coaching a football game. Like, like, look, this it's the way of the world. I'm not knocking Kenny Dillingham, but it is distracting to what Oregon was doing. And then, you know, an hour after the game, he's on a flight. He's on a Cessna heading to Phoenix to go, you know, finalize the deal. And then he's introduced Sunday morning. And I was told by a source at Arizona State that Dillingham was supposed to sign the deal. Oregon was going to win the game. Dillingham was going to sign the deal. He was going to get on a plane and he was going to fly from Phoenix back to Eugene on Sunday afternoon and then be in Eugene in time to start prepping for this Friday's Pac-12 championship game because Oregon was going to play USC and Oregon was going to be the one seed. But when things went wrong late in the Oregon game, Kenny Dillingham and Arizona State basically decided, no, he'll just stay in Phoenix. Now, I'm trying to get Dillingham on the show this week as well, so stay tuned. That could happen. I would love to talk with him about how much of a distraction that was. Did it affect his play calling? Why run the football with Bo Nix when you need a yard late in the game? It was the, it was the, most, it was the dumbest thing I've seen any coach do this football season. It was just, it wasn't, it wasn't smart. Leave it here. You got the BFT statewide. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. We're going to be very forward-thinking on this show, so we will obviously uh, start to talk about what happens next with Oregon and Oregon State. Uh, Trent Bray, the defensive coordinator at Oregon State, has been extended, his contract extended through 2024. Uh, Oregon State being proactive there. That's the right thing to do. It's the right move. You don't want someone else hiring away Trent Bray if you're Oregon State. And one of the things that I think that Jonathan Smith has going for him, while there's been a revolving door of head coaches and coordinators at Oregon in the last couple of few seasons, uh, Trent Bray's been on Jonathan Smith's staff. And Brian Lindgren, the offensive coordinator, has been on his staff. And very, uh, very galvanized. Uh, Jim Halchek, the offensive line coach and run game coordinator, he's been on this staff. Like they have kept continuity with that coaching staff in a way that Oregon hasn't 
And I got to wonder how that played or what role that played in uh, the team who had the quarterback throw for 60 yards walking off with winner on uh, on Saturday. Let's go out to the phone lines. Sam is in Portland. Sam is a Beaver fan, wants to talk about the big win. Sam, have you been home yet? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I've been home. I'm home. John, I, I, I just got to tell you, <clears throat> today it makes it all worth it. All the, all the years, the 27, 28 years of losing, beating the Ducks, and, and, and not just beating them the way we did. So I, I made a promise this year not to talk trash about the Ducks. I'm not going to. But okay. to beat them the way we beat them. Right, because I had a lot of people texting me and talking crap, and, you know, it's 31-10, da-da-da-da-da. But I think the thing that Dan Lanning didn't have going for him that a lot of people in that game, especially on the Oregon State staff, he'd never been in – this is his first Civil War. He'd never been in a Civil War before. He didn't understand the, the, the implications of the game, how much – like, it's never over till it's over. I mean, there's been some great games, a 0-0 tie – like these guys play until the death. It's it's not over till it's over, and I don't think he understood the significance, the importance, and I think it might have affected his, his decision making. But you know, the other thing too is this game. The Ducks lost so much by losing this game. A chance at the playoffs, a chance at the Pac-12 championship, bragging rights in the state of Washington. They lost to the Huskies. They lost to the Beavers. I mean, their whole season imploded on Saturday, and they had everything in front of them. They got punched in the mouth, and that's what happened. I mean, they got out coached. And by the way, John, I want to go on record. I was wrong about Jonathan Smith. And every time I talk about him going forward, I will admit I was wrong about Jonathan Smith, and I'm, I'm glad I was. But I want to close out by asking you a question. To me, this was one or one A of the greatest Civil War games that I've been a part, you know, either watching or been to. Simonton, the overtime touchdown, I would say yep. was number one. What do you think? I mean, the way they came back and never gave up and and the ramifications, to, and that they have the same record, they're ranked below the Ducks. For me, as a lifelong Beaver fan, this is like one or one A next to Simonton. I don't know which one's better I just wonder what your thoughts are. Any ducks? Yeah, yeah. Look, it depends. I think it depends who you're rooting for, who what you call the best game ever. Because I think there are some Oregon fans that would go back and say, "Hey, look, in that era in 2008 and 2009, the the 09 game in particular, um, that there, you know, it was these were these were games that were decided for the Rose Bowl. You know, it was Oregon trying to keep Oregon State out of the Rose Bowl, and then it was." Hey, the winner goes to the Rose Bowl. It's only happened one time in history, and Oregon won the game. Uh, but if you're an Oregon State fan, this one, this one's got to be right up in there. Maybe the double overtime game in 1998. Uh, maybe the over double overtime game in 2007, where James Rogers scores on the reverse at Autzen Stadium, 38-31. Uh, and this game for Oregon State, both teams ranked. That helps it, makes it a better game. Stakes are bigger. But I, I think, look, if you're an Oregon fan, you're not going to put this game down as one of the greatest in rivalry history because your team didn't play well in the second half and gave the game away. And Oregon State, then let's not just say that Oregon State stood there with its hands open and received the game. They didn't. Oregon State took it, snatched it away from Oregon. And that's what football, that's what sport is about. And look, I picked Oregon State to win this game. 
I had it 28-27. I knew it was going to be close. I thought it would be a little less scoring in the game. I had it 28-27. And I got to admit to you that I got a lot of people sending me emails, sending, dropping into the DMs, taunting me. I had other media members who were Oregon Duck fans saying, you know, that's what you get. You got swept up in the hysteria. Like, I don't have a dog in the fight. Like, my kid goes to Oregon State, but if I had thought Oregon was going to win the game, I would have picked Oregon to win the game. I picked against Oregon State a couple times this season. But I felt like Oregon State was going to win this game. I felt like they had the home field. I did not like the injury to Bo Nix. And I just felt like Oregon State was going to win a close game. Um, you know, I and I was and I was kind of yelling at Dan Lanning early in the game because you know he passed up a, a an easy field goal early in the game that might have changed the outcome of the game. I think uh, I think Oregon got out coached. I think Oregon in the end got out toughed, and they certainly got outscored on the scoreboard. But here's what I hope: I hope Dan Lanning and the Ducks learn from it. I hope Jonathan Smith and the Beavers use it as fuel. And make it, uh, you know, parlay it into something bigger, because this can't be all it is. You have to, if you're Oregon, learn from this mistake that you know in in certainly last three weeks, and you have to, if you're Oregon State, capitalize on the momentum that you have, go win your bowl game, and park a ten win season in the books. Leave it here. B F F T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Well, we'll be uh, giving way to Monday Night Football in this show coming up here in about 10 minutes. If you're listening uh, across the network on one of the affiliates, uh, just stay tuned for programming. On 750 The Game, though, we will be leading right into Monday Night Football. More football, more action, all of that coming up ahead. Uh, Before we do that, before we get too far into that, we're going to do the 5 at 5. It's the five biggest stories going on in sports. The 5 at 5. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz of Wilsonville. See more than 4,000 vehicles at Swickert.com. Well, let's start with the news at Oregon State. The Beavers have extended the contract of defensive coordinator Trent Bray. Jonathan Smith giving his D coordinator an extension through 2024. Well-deserved. You talk about criticism. A lot of people said that when Jonathan Smith promoted Trent Bray, it was uh, like he should have looked outside of the family to to make that hire. And and instead, he uh, stayed with a guy that he knew and trusted. In the end, Trent Bray looks like he might have been the best coordinator Uh, in the Pac-12 conference when it comes to the defensive side of the ball this season. Think about how bad Oregon State was on defense just a couple of years ago. Now, it is obviously a point of uh, pride and a point of emphasis at Oregon State. Jonathan Smith extending his D coordinator. That's number one in our five at five. Will Smith himself be next with an extension? Keep an eye on that. Number two in our five at five, how about David Shaw? At Stanford, he surprised people on Saturday night after Stanford's loss to BYU. David Shaw announced uh, he was hanging it up. He uh, doesn't want to coach anymore. And, you know, look, I don't think it's a total shock that David Shaw is walking away from Stanford. 
Like, I'm kicking myself for not reading the tea leaves a little better because the Bernard Muir, the athletic director at, uh, at Stanford, had made a statement earlier in the season where he sort of just talked about there will be no changes during the season. Now, we all took that to mean, oh, you know, Shaw's going to hire a new offensive coordinator or a new defensive coordinator. Well, apparently David Shaw began thinking about resigning last week said he has no desire to coach another team at this point. He's not burned out. He feels good. But 16 years of running a program and being responsible for everything, he says uh, it just catches up to you. Shaw steps down as the winningest coach in Stanford history. His record 96-54. and 54, But his resignation comes after back-to-back 3-9 and nine seasons and a 14-28 and 28 stretch that goes back to the start of 2019. 3-16 and 16 in conference play last two seasons, including consecutive losses to Cal. David Shaw stepping away at Stanford. Keep an eye on what they do there. I think it'll be interesting. I think he, Bernard Muir, the athletic director, will consult with people like Richard Sherman, people like Andrew Luck. Uh, I think this will very much be a decision made via consensus, but I also think Stanford's got to do some soul-searching as a university. What do they want to be? What kind of academic standards do they want to have? Do they want to continue to, uh, you know, sort of promote themselves as, you know, academics before athletics while falling further and further behind when it comes to name image likeness and the transfer portal? Some serious questions for Stanford in the wake of David Shaw leaving the program. Number three in our five at five, uh, let's talk about uh, the... The Pac-12 title game that has taken place on Friday in Las Vegas. I will be there as Utah and USC meet on Friday in Vegas for all the marbles. It'll be Kyle Whittingham. It'll be Lincoln Riley. Uh, I wrote about it today at johnconzano.com. It's really interesting to kind of look at the investment in football made by USC and certainly the investment over the years made by Utah. I put a number. This season on price per victory, right now, USC paying about $900,000 in coaching salary per victory. But I would argue it's probably a good investment, as Lincoln Riley's got a $10 million a year contract. Probably a good investment if your aim is the college football playoff. If your aim is simply to be competitive or make a bowl game, it's a terrible investment. Meanwhile, at Utah... Kyle Whittingham coming in at about $660,000 per victory this season. If he wins this game and goes to the Rose Bowl, and so let's say he plays Ohio State and he beats Ohio State, he ends up looking like a bargain. The two best values in the conference in my mind, and I wrote it again at johnconzano.com. You can read it. Probably Jonathan Smith at Oregon State and Kalen DeBoer at Washington. He is the best value on the board when you cost about... When you talk about the cost of winning, Kalen DeBoer cost Washington $310,000 per victory. Jonathan Smith was at $416,000. Dan Lanning, $522,000. It goes all the way up to David Shaw, who we mentioned in the last last, uh, part of this segment. uh, $2.2 million per victory this season for David Shaw. Moving on. How about Portland State men's basketball? Got their second victory of the season over Oregon State. Chase Coburn and the Vikings proving that 
They are uh, above Oregon State in the rankings in our state when it comes to college basketball. Portland State and UP representing themselves well over the weekend. The Phil Knight Palooza that was going on all over town. I thought Shantae Leggins and UP look like the best basketball team in the state right now when it comes to men's basketball. And I think Jace Coburn at Portland State outplaying Oregon State. Keep an eye on those two small college programs, mid-majors, whatever you want to call them. They look like they want to matter when it comes to uh, the big picture. Finally, uh, let's talk about Auburn. Did Auburn get the best fit or just the next best fit? Hugh Freeze will be the next coach at Auburn. He's agreed to a deal. School announced it today. Auburn administrators, uh, after perhaps dancing a little with Lane Kiffin, turned to Hugh Freeze. And uh, Freeze has spent the past four seasons at Liberty where he had some success there. He's widely regarded as one of the best offensive coaches in football. Uh, in fact, he uh, was at Old Miss and beat Nick Saban in Alabama in back-to-back seasons and went to the Sugar Bowl in 2015. That is our five at five. Guys, can we talk for a second about Trent Bray and Oregon State? Uh, what is What is Oregon State's move when it comes to Jonathan Smith right now? I mean, the extension for sure. I, I don't. I might. Is it too early to give him the lifetime? Probably, but you know they got to keep him in Oregon State. Like he, I think he's a perfect fit there in Corvallis. Played there, understands the culture, and ha- has developed a real uh, coaching culture as well. Like he's developed those coaches. Trent Bray is his guy. Uh, good for him to get that extension. But I think you got to extend Jonathan Smith at this point. All right. You know, I wrote a little today about kind of where the coaches rank when it comes to salary in the conference and. People want to see it all. You can go to johnconzano.com. But, you know, Oregon State right now, Jonathan Smith is number eight of 12 coaches when it comes to pay. And next season, he's going to be number nine because Kalen DeBoer got a million-dollar raise. Uh, Jonathan Smith will be at $3.75 million. Kalen DeBoer will be at $4.1 million in just school-based salary pay. Where should Jonathan Smith be among the 12 universities I would argue he should be right square in the middle if Oregon State wants to retain him and keep him long term. And I think it'll take about another $500,000 to $700,000 a year. So I'm I'm expecting that Oregon State's going to give Jonathan Smith a nice little bump, put him right behind Dan Lanning of Oregon. Dan Lanning's at $4.7 million. Jonathan Smith's at $3.75. I would expect Smith, after he gets this this raise that I think is coming, to be somewhere around $4.5 million a year. Keep an eye on that. All right. Uh, I want you to leave it here. Uh, if you are interested in, in hearing some Monday Night Football, we are back tomorrow. I'm efforting Trent Bray to get him on the show tomorrow. Plus, uh, we're going to talk all about what is next at Oregon. The offensive coordinator hire, all of that very important for Dan Lanning's program. I appreciate you, and leave it here.